0: I'm Heather Bushman for N Equals One, a podcast about science and discovery at UC San Diego. In each episode, we bring you the story of one project, one discovery, or one scientist. Today on N Equals One, I'm talking to Dr. Sunny Smith. When she was a medical student here at UC San Diego School of Medicine, along with Dr. Ellen Beck, Dr. Smith helped launch our student-run free clinic. It's exactly as it's named, a clinic, now actually several clinics, that are run by medical students and provide free medical care to those who need it most. Dr. Smith is now clinical professor of family medicine and public health and co-medical director of the clinic, while Dr. Beck is its executive director. So I'm excited to learn more about this clinic. Every year when I talk to graduating medical students, I ask them what their favorite part of medical school was. Without fail, they talk about their experiences in the student-run free clinic. So how and when did it get started?
1: Yes. So in 1996, um, some students from somewhere else that had a free clinic came to San Diego and said, we want to see your free clinic. And they approached Dr. Ellen Beck and she said, we don't have a student-run free clinic, but we could put out some flyers and see if people are interested and get things started. And so we put... Uh, 250 flyers in boxes and three students came and that's all you need right it's like the Margaret Mead quote that we'll have to look up exactly the wording (laughs) of it but you know that all you need is a small group of committed citizens to make a change in the world so um, those three students and Dr. Beck had a meeting and decided that this was something we wanted to do and it took about six months to get through the paperwork at the university and find the appropriate partner. And then in January 1997, we opened our doors at the Pacific Beach United Methodist Church with an amazing partner, a woman named Mary Mahey, who herself had been homeless. She'd gone to law school and then had a psychotic break, had become homeless, was on the streets. The homeless folks helped her to know what to do on the streets, how to can, how to stay safe, all that. And she said if she ever got back off the streets, she would help them, so she did. She started an organization called Harvest for the Hungry. We partnered with them. We went in in person. We sat down and literally and figuratively broke bread with homeless folks and said, do you need any help? And at first they looked at us like, hmm, I don't know, what are you talking about? (laughs) But they gained trust with us, and um, that first night we hung a curtain in the basement of the church, divided half into administration and half into um, clinical care areas, saw about ten patients, and then from there it just continued to grow and grow and grow, and now It is 22 years later. We are by far the largest student-run free clinic in the country. We had been open five days a week until a year ago when there was our first significant funding issue after 21 years. And so we're now open three days a week, but hope and expect soon to be back open to five days a week. And we offer over 20 specialty services. We offer acupuncture and legal services, social work, Um, dental care and we partner with um, people in the community and organizations who help us to offer imaging, MRIs, um, surgeries, specialty care, primary care, all of our outcomes that we have measured in terms of research and publications meet or exceed national standards despite serving those most marginalized and most likely to not do well and not achieve the outcomes that we want to have for them.
0: How has the clinic grown over the years?
1: We have um, four locations now. We're at Pacific Beach United Methodist Church. We're in downtown San Diego at First Lutheran. We were at Baker Elementary School, which is a clinic site that um, I helped to start my first year of medical school, which would be 97, 98, so the summer of 98. Um, And it was open for many, many years until the school, San Diego Unified, had us shut down. So we moved that one, and now we're in Normal Heights. and then the last one is Golden Avenue, Lemon Grove.
0: Tell me a little more about the kinds of patients who come to you and the kinds of issues you see.
1: We have always served people who are falling through the traditional healthcare safety net. In San Diego, we don't have a county hospital. And when we started, we did have a program that was called County Medical Services. Um, it was very limited, the number of patients that were able to be served by that. And the qualifications at that time meant that you had pre-ACA, you Affordable Care Act, you had to have a link to be able to get Medi-Cal. So the link would be permanent disability, blindness, a small child. So most of the homeless folks didn't have that link and it was really hard for them to get any medical care or qualify for the healthcare safety net. So we served them for years and years. And then we follow wherever the gaps are. So as the Affordable Care Act was passed, California was one of the first states to implement and to implement very successfully. Um, so we helped transition all of our patients who did qualify into other healthcare settings, like community health centers. And we now continue to follow whoever, for one reason or another, does not qualify for health care.
0: What's an average night like at the clinics?
1: An average night in one of the clinics, I would say, for instance, I've worked almost every Wednesday night of the last 22 years, except when I went away for residency. And on that typical Wednesday night, we would set up around 5 p.m. when the folks are, they still serve a meal to hundreds of homeless folks at the same site. And so while they're setting up the meal, we're setting up our clinic and we check people in. We tend to see the most common thing that we see is diabetes because if you think about someone who's uninsured in San Diego and what would be cost prohibitive because this healthcare safety net for hundreds of thousands of uninsured, underinsured, or Medi-Cal patients in San Diego are the federally qualified health centers. But if you are uninsured, you have to pay. And so the, although it's a small amount, what many of us would consider a small amount, say it's $30, $40, but then you have to pay for medicines and lab tests, and you have to come back frequently, what kinds of medicines, lab tests, frequent visits would prohibit you from continuing at those federally qualified health centers? So something like diabetes, with insulin being hundreds of dollars per vial, and some of my patients use a vial every few days, three, four, five days, So their medication costs can be thousands of dollars. I think that's one reason why we end up with so many patients with diabetes. So that would be our number one diagnosis. diagnosis. And then there would be hypertension, hyperlipidemia. We see a lot of cardiovascular disease. We do see rare diseases. We do see cancers. Um, Anything that you can imagine in the human condition will walk into our doors because we have been here long enough that we see everything.
0: As I mentioned, students seem to love their experience with the clinic. Can you tell me more about their role? What are our medical students doing and what are they getting out of it?
1: So when I started here in medical school in 1997, um, you know, we were much smaller. And so when you think, what, what did the students have to do? I mean, you do whatever it takes to run a clinic when it's a student-run free clinic. And so I would do things like um, bake, Cookies to sell them, and that we would buy antibiotics with that or buy lab tests with that, and um, you know I would set up hazardous waste registration and drive the sharps around and whatever needed to be done, you need to do so um, over the, the years, the students really have taken the initiative, whatever they see, like see they see someone who has chest pain, then they come back to campus and they, the students had the initiative to think, okay, what can we do to solve this problem? And so they would ask a world-renowned cardiologist who's giving them a lecture the next day, hey, <laughs> can you come see my patient in the basement of this church because they have chest pain, I'm really worried, but it didn't seem emergent, but I'd like you to come and see them. And so it continued to grow like that where then someone would say, oh, we need an orthopedist. And they would see a case where, uh, for instance, a dental clinic is a great example where one of my colleagues, he was a student a year ahead of me, He um, was getting his MD-PhD, and we noticed that a lot of our homeless patients at the time had dental problems. And toothlessness, we say, leads to joblessness because it's very hard to get a job if you don't look presentable. And they have a lot of pain. And as physicians, it's really hard to do something about toothlessness and dental pain. You can give antibiotics, but it doesn't really cure the problem. So he took it on himself to start a dental clinic. <laughs> and he did for his PhD, he studied pain relief um, with acupuncture in dental care. And now all these years later, the dental clinic is growing and thriving and doing amazing work. Um, so they, what do they do? I mean, they do everything that needs to be done. So they um work with, we now, when we first started, there was no school of pharmacy at all. Skaggs didn't exist. So it was like me and my friends and one of my friend's dad became the dean of the school of pharmacy, <laughs> but he came and he helped us and we all counted pills together and, um, Now of course we have the School of Pharmacy doing that so the medical students don't have to do that. Um, Same with we used to do all the checking in and follow up appointments and scheduling and all that. But now we have undergraduate volunteers that work underneath us and do that. But they do all the medical part and the administration of that. So drawing labs, um, testing the urine, Um, seeing the patients obviously presenting to the physicians creating a care plan making referrals and then students medical students on the other side of that receive the referrals work with their attendings to prioritize the referrals see the patients make a consult plan send it back and then they work closely with us in the leadership to problem solve and try to do systems-based interventions so I think that's a unique thing where medical students don't get that as much in the traditional healthcare system. So for instance, if you're a medical student and you don't go to your cardiology rotation, like the world goes on, you know, they don't need you. (laughs) They don't rely on you. It's medical school, you're there to be educated while they're seeing patients. You're kind of a part of the system, but they don't need you. And what students feel is different about the student arm-free clinic is if they don't come Who's going to see the patients? How are we going to do this? Their presence matters. If someone walks in, one or two or three students walk in late, I look at them myself and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you're here. Big hug. And then I take three more patients. Instead of sending those patients away to a different day or rescheduling, it's like your presence mattered. The fact that you left wherever you were and came down here, even though you have a test tomorrow, these three human beings are going to get care, good, high quality care, because you decided to show up. And then if they see that there's problems. When I was talking about the systems-based issues, they come together, they talk to their friends and their colleagues about how can we ensure this doesn't happen again? Or how could we improve the care for these patients as a group, as a whole? So that's, and they really get to intervene like tomorrow. So there's no big bureaucracy that um, you have to go through to get things approved, to make things happen. We just work with them and make things happen.
0: So over your years there, is there a particular patient or two that stick out in your mind?
1: There are so, so many patients. There are some patients we've been caring for for 20 years. Um, I think one patient that sticks out in my mind is a gentleman who, I think this speaks to the culture that we create and the belief system that we create in the students. Because it's not like you're just a student with this belief system in our setting. When you go out into the healthcare setting, traditional healthcare world, you bring this belief that uninsured patients deserve the same care as everyone else. And you don't accept the barriers and limitations that are out there and you try and fight for them. So we had a patient who had had an injury, a gunshot wound to the leg for decades, decades. And he was uninsured. So he had a seeping, oozing wound for a long, long time. He finally went to UCSD and he had an amputation and he's uninsured. They gave him excellent care and goodbye because what can you do? A prosthesis is $10,000, over $10,000. And so the student on the team wrote him a note. (laughs) I'm always emotional. So he wrote him a note and said, (laughs) and said, here's the address of a free clinic, they'll take care of you. So, so that student actually passed away before the patient came to the clinic. So the patient came to the clinic with a note saying, you know, go to this clinic, see what they can do for you. He came in and I said, we're gonna get you on the first day. I said, we're gonna get you that leg. I don't know how, I don't know what's gonna happen, but I'm not gonna rest until we get you leg because that is not fair. He's a hard worker. He wants to get back to work. He wants to contribute to society. That's all he wants in his life. So this is an example of where the students and the faculty come together and the students who were managing that night, their their job, their managers is to write the names on the board and make sure that all the paperwork gets done and transport things back and forth. But they worked with us and with UCSD to create a video to crowdsource to get $12,000 And we gave him his leg. So uh, that story sticks out to me as one that was important because it reminds me that we're indoctrinating our students in a culture of caring and humanity that they can bring with them wherever they go. And if they believe that a problem is solvable, they'll find a way. Even when the way is a way we've never done before and we've never figured out before. So I could tell another story where I wouldn't cry. There's so many stories. Um, I'll tell a story about a gentleman who we took care of on our very first nights at the free clinic and he had diabetes and uh, he came in because he had a foot wound and we cared for him and his foot wound and his diabetes for many, many years. Kind, caring gentleman, warm heart and soul, lifted my spirits every single time that I came in And because we've cared for him for so long, well over a decade, his diabetes is the course of the disease that it would progress, and it did, and he got worse. And then the way the state of affairs of healthcare is in the United States, once he needed dialysis, which we prevented as long as we could, then he got care. So then he he was able to seek care through the traditional healthcare system, and he continued to come back to us to visit, to say hello, to tell us how he was doing because he just didn't feel he was getting the same attention. Because we have a long time for our visits, the students can sit and talk as long as they want. There's no timer, there's no second patient or third patient or fourth patient waiting for that particular student so they have to go faster. Um, So he continued coming back to us until he passed away. And then we had, funeral services for him in our church, where we had cared for him for over a decade, and many students and faculty and community uh, members who'd cared for him went, and I, I think, and the tears that are shed, they're very genuine. There's There are many funerals of our patients that I've been to and that our students have been to, and as a medical student, to have longitudinal care of a patient that follows them through health, illness, death, and then their family beyond, it's really quite profound. Our medical students have performed music at our patients' funerals. It's, um, it's just really quite a unique and powerful experience to be there and build community with others who are there. Everyone who's there is a volunteer. So they have other things they could be doing, and they have things to study for, but they're all there because they want
0: to be. So they want to serve, and it creates a, a certain culture that we're very proud of. So, you mentioned earlier that somebody a while back came from a stu- different student run free clinic and inspired this one. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think I heard that UC San Diego student run free clinic is now a national model and people have published papers about it and presented conferences about it and stuff like that. Can you tell me more about our national role in this area? Yeah,
1: absolutely. We're a model of excellence in student run free clinics and so many people when they're thinking about starting or even changing or making some best practices in their student run free clinic they come visit our model so like harvard came to visit and uc irvine and many other universities have come to visit They talk to our students, they talk to our faculty, we have things online that describe our policies and procedures so they can be replicated elsewhere. We then started a society of student-run free clinics, so it's a national organization which has an annual meeting and we grow every single year and now I think the last year was around 500 medical student leaders from across the country come. To learn best practices in student-run free clinics for everyone to share, whether you're about to start your very first student-run free clinic, whether you're in your first years, whether you've been doing this a long time, there's always ways we could do this better. And they teach each other, and then the faculty have an affiliated organization, and we teach each other about how to do this well. Um, And we have published, we did a national survey of medical schools to see how many now have student-run free clinics and what kinds of services they offer. And by far, most medical schools, when we started 22 years ago, it was kind of a fringe thing. You know, like the whole basement of the church providing medical care felt very rogue. And now it's very standard, and and in fact, it's more unusual for a medical school not to offer a student-run free clinic than to offer it. Um, and ours is one that is that draws students here. It's often cited as the reason that students came here. UC San Diego School of Medicine is a phenomenal medical school for so many reasons. I'm so fortunate I was able to come here as a student for so many reasons. I literally don't know who I would be. Like, I don't know what specialty I would have gone into. I don't know what would have meant anything to me. I will say for my own personal journey, I had never spoken to a homeless person, I didn't speak Spanish, I was from Canada, I didn't know anything about social justice, underserved medicine, and just by throwing me into that church with people with nowhere to go, your heart just is compelled to help, to act. And it really transformed who I am and and, we have trained thousands of students, and I'm not a unique story. This is the story of many, many, many of our students. Over 90% of UCSD students choose to volunteer with us because it is such a powerful
0: experience. So the reason we're talking about the Student run Free Clinics now is because philanthropist and South Dakota businessman Denny Sanford generously donated a large gift to UC San Diego to create a new Institute for Empathy and Compassion, which will focus on three areas exploring the neurobiology of compassion, transforming medical education, and addressing the epidemic of physician burnout. Talk to me about the clinic's role in this and and what it'll mean to the clinic.
1: Yes, I will say as the largest student-run free clinic in the country that if you're looking at the bell curve of the funding that student-run free clinics have, I mean most student-run free clinics have function on around $30,000 a year and we're in the millions. So being able to try to sustain a million-dollar budget or $2 million budget on donations and grants and private donors and foundations, it's very challenging. And as I mentioned a year ago for the first time, we weren't able to raise the funds that we historically had been able to do. We, the types of grants we applied for, Historically, weren't even available to apply for. So all of us there were cut in half. Our patients didn't go away. So we see the same amount of patients in a smaller time. And we have more limitations on what we're able to offer and how we have to be more mindful of our budget. So our dream has always been to have a stable budget, where every year, come July, we weren't hoping and praying <laughs> that maybe it would be okay and we'd find a way to continue to function because we just have to believe. We, we, You know, I know these people, I know my patients, I know their kids, I know their moms, I know their stories, I know their journeys. I can't just say, yeah, sorry, we're out of money, we can't care for you anymore. So they know we're always going to be there for them. So this is going to allow us to be stably present in their lives, caring for them at an even greater level than we've been able to. We are going to be able to provide stability for our students, better teaching for our students, five days a week availability. And to really start thinking more purposely about now that we can design this the way that we want to, how would we like this to look? For instance, do our patients really want to be coming to a clinic that goes until 11 o'clock at night? Because we rely so much on volunteers, we have to work outside of normal business hours. But perhaps with sufficient funding, now that we get to start looking at reorganizing, we might be able to get our patients home before it's dark and before it's unsafe for them to be out at night. And we can work even further with our students to make systems-based changes to improve outcomes for their patients and to serve even more patients. So it's an incredible gift that we've never had anything like this in 22 years. It's something that we've always been seeking, always been hoping, and it's absolutely an honor (laughs) to be considered for inclusion in this project and this funding and this donation. Absolutely an honor.
0: Thanks so much for sharing, Dr. Smith. That's it for this episode. You can learn more about the T. Denny Sanford Institute for Empathy and Compassion at compassion.ucsd.edu. Thanks for joining us on N equals one. You can also find more of our episodes at health.ucsd. Dot edu slash podcast.